say shut what do you know about the Arrowverse? yeah very little um i know i mean generally kind of what it is i guess green arrow right is the the center of it we need to get into it i think as Mm. the acc is now going to be broadcasting football and basketball games on the cw and i think this Arrowverse is like the biggest part of it in all of the college sports media stuff it feels like that's at the center of so much realignment talk and just the future of college sports this is a thing that i just i didn't see this coming cw really well they had live golf Uh and kind of dipped their toe in the water there with inside the nfl and it for long rumored that they were going to be trying to get the pac-12 and then mm. the ACC manages to ink this deal kind of as a stopgap. I mean, it, it's a confusing thing with their licenses because Raycom is still producing it, I think. But the games are going to be on the CW. Mm-hmm. So they have kind of a, a, a way of getting more games on TV that wouldn't have been on other networks, which I don't know how many of those games there are. I feel like there are a million acc games even if they're just on espn plus but maybe this is a way to get something off of that and on tv yeah i guess we'll see how it goes i don't know i just when i saw it i think that uh, my first thought of this was yeah arrowverse i knew that that was a thing i've never gotten into it i also like was thinking about kind of some older shows that i associate with the cw like one Mm -hmm. tree hill and gossip girl Again, shows that I don't know that much about, but it just feels... I mean, I guess One Tree Hill, the one dude gets a scholarship to play basketball at Duke. So there's some continuity there. And now they have a show called All-American, which is about a guy who is in LA who's playing football. I don't have a ton of information on this. You can can tell I don't watch the CW a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and we were both talking about it just before we started recording and... In our uh, research to prep for this episode, I think we both had a point where looking at CW TV shows, we just kind of were like, yeah, no, I don't. This is uh, not for me. But it is interesting to think about where the ACC fits into the greater world of the CW. Do you think that the ACC will be like the top rated show, like a Boston College Louisville friday night football game is that going to be the top rated thing or is that going to just get dwarfed by riverdale reruns (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i think that um there's going to be definitely pieces of the acc schedule that are able to dethrone some of these shows at the top right so but but i don't know like it's also like they're not I assume I haven't looked at the full schedule, but I assume they're not getting the best of the best. Like I know that the no, it's like the no. NC State VMI football game is on CW. I think their first game is Pitt and Cincinnati or something That's like not that. Terrible. It's not terrible, but it's also not like Florida State Clemson certainly right. in terms of football. Yeah, I I for one am hoping for like some true crossover. Like I want an episode of The Flash where the villain is Dabo Sweeney. I mean, is Dabo not really just trying to be the Flash? Yeah, he definitely sprinting is. He... Down, sprinting down the hill onto the field. I mean, he he really is like 
just doing his Barry Allen impression. He really is. That I think that that is the you know we had talked about doing an entire segment of coaches and programs as characters, and I think we struggled to build it out fully. But that certainly is one that I feel very confident in. And that's and and what I do know about the Flash tells me that makes it even more likely that he would be a villain because they do a bunch of alternate universe stuff and uh so maybe it turns out that Dabo is our world's flash and something i don't whatever i don't know where that goes from there there's a writer's strike but the it could be interesting i don't know man there there you go cw there is a strike so there's your idea brent venables is the new reverse flash arch nemesis which is a nemesis i didn't know about because i don't know a lot about the flash and apparently reverse flash which super creative by the way guys is like one of his top nemesis yeah does he run backwards he idolized the flash and wanted to be like him and also has time stopping abilities or is fat i mean i don't Mm. know i I went into like a little bit of a rabbit hole with some of this stuff like first of all just the arrow which was like the main show which is a it's kind of weird that they turned into the arrow verse of shows like superhero shows that are on the CW. Mm-hmm. And it started with like a green arrow story. And then yeah. they, within that, they have like Supergirl and Smallville, which seem like much more important stories. Like Supergirl in particular is like a cousin of Superman. And instead they focus their universe on a rich billionaire who shoots arrows at people. Yeah. I mean, definitely the most relatable uh <laughs> character yeah I, I i don't get it like i will fully this just goes into my not to go too too far down this but this goes into my same analysis on like the all the marvel stuff and hawkeye like i you have i just don't understand within a world where superheroes exist why i'm supposed to be interested in somebody with a bow and arrow it feels unrealistic that that person is useful in any way uh, when there are people who can stop time and have super strength and can fly and, you know, have laser vision. And like, how is a bow and arrow really, really holding up in that fight? I kind of think it makes sense, though, when you think about it from a conference perspective, you've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the biggest, most popular one that kind of aligns with the SEC. And then you've got the DC universe, which is like much more serious. No fun yeah. allowed here. And that's the Big Ten. And then mm. now we're getting into the Arrowverse of the ACC, which is like, yeah, it's, you know, it has a fan base. People care about it. It's been around for a while, but not quite as important as the other two, probably. Yeah. And when you like really stop to pick it apart and look at it, uh, the takeaway almost always becomes like, eh, does this really need to exist? You know, and, and that's kind of where we are with realignment. I do think I was just thinking about this. Unfortunately, this is going to be a dated parallel, but it feels to me like if we're looking for an ACC entity that would be the Green Arrow, I think it was uh, Georgia Tech under Paul Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, when you like everybody's using these superpowers, these high-powered spread offenses and he's got this like hey i got i got my triple option you know this is my bow and arrow it's never really that effective but every now and then it inexplicably works 
yeah, I think that's that that would be a good comparison. So R.I.P. to well, not to Paul Johnson. I don't think he's dead, but <laughs> I think he's still around to that to that era of Georgia Tech football. And now they can just pretend to be relevant doing other things and, and losing in, in other ways. I had Green Arrow as Jay Billis. Mm. It's basically a character who is a very, very rich person who shoots barbs at people mm-hmm. and considers himself kind of a vigilante. That's pretty like, good. That has to be Jay Billis. That's pretty good. Yeah, I had another comparison that also is from the days, uh, you know, the ACC of yesteryear. I was thinking about Supergirl and, you know, cool stuff. But let's be real. The reason Supergirl is relevant is because she's related to somebody much more significant. So I was thinking back to Tommy Bowden. And uh, Mm. I think Tommy Bowden is Supergirl for that very reason. I had Tommy and Terry Bowden as the brothers from Supernatural, which Mm. is a show that's been on for like 16 seasons. But it's two brothers who hunt monsters together. I mean, okay. that's the Bowden boys right there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I'm I'm unfamiliar with the show, but I'll take your word for it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I am Skyping in. We're not actually using Skype. Nobody uses uses Skype Skype? anymore. But I feel like that's like one of those verbal tics that I had from my era of like Mm. everything online that was a phone call or video conference was Skype. Yeah. Then it was Zoom. But anyway, Michael Shutt is on the other end of the line. And we're going to be talking about college sports today. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, I am. I think we. I think I mentioned this maybe on the last episode or, or two episodes ago. I am fully pumped for football season, and we're not quite there yet. It's not helped by you know you've got NFL teams reporting for training camps, so you're starting to see on social media clips of football, and I am just so pumped. But that also leads to constant disappointment as I remind myself that we're not quite there yet. We are just under a month away. I think the first college football week zero games are on August 26th. And we're recording this on July 27th. So four weeks. It's manageable. We can get there. Yeah. So let's start off by doing kind of some quick hitters with some headlines here. We've got a few stories that are bubbling up around the college landscape and then later we'll talk about the acc media days but first and foremost yesterday evening the big 12 unanimously voted to accept colorado university back into the fold they were a long-standing member of the big 12 before going off and joining the pac-12 for a brief spell and now it seems that there are reports that there's mutual interest in coming back to the big 12 so Ralphie, who we discussed last week, may be right. sprinting his way back into the Big 12. I love it. I love it. This just feels right. I think Colorado in the Pac-12 never, I don't know, it never sat right with me personally. Um, I mean, the sad part of this is like, it kind of feels like the 
what may have already been seen as imminent, but the death of the Pac-12 is is really it's really coming in coming in hot because uh, you got Colorado moving to the Big 12, and then you know it seems that they are there are sources telling Sports Illustrated that they are interested in the four corners schools, so Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State as well. I don't know if they would get all of them. Uh, that would take the Big 12 to 16 teams, but it seems like they definitely want at least one other one and betting odds have Arizona as the favorite to head on over to the big 12. That one feels weird to me, but Colorado in the big 12 is just, it's just right, man. I don't know. There's something about it that I love. Yeah. It feels like they're where they should have been the whole time. It really hasn't worked out for them at the PAC 12 level. Their conference record in the years that they were in the PAC 12 was 27 and 76, which is Interesting that they are unanimously wanted back. I know there's a little bit of buzz with Deion Sanders being the head coach of Colorado and likely we'll see an uptick of excitement and interest in the program, but it's not like they've been knocking anybody's doors off. They've been pretty terrible, but Mm -hmm. you could still see with a major market in the Denver area why they would be a school that you would want to add to your conference. One thing that I think should be said, though, I know there's a lot of realignment stuff that goes on and people have varying interests of how much they care about it. But I think we have to make a law. I think that's more important than NIL laws. Congress needs to step in and say, if a conference adds a team and they have a number in their conference name, Mm. like the Big 12 or the Pac-12, and you no longer have that many teams in it, you have to change the name of your conference. Yep. I am so into that. The Big Ten has way more than 10 teams, and they're still the Big Ten. Like, That's what right. are we doing? We can do better than this. We're lying. We're we're being dishonest, and I'm not a fan of it. It's, yeah, this really frustrated me with that kind of, like, first big wave of realignment and, like, or I don't know, whatever that was, like, 2010-type time, and um, it just felt like you're trying to explain it to people who maybe aren't as into things. It's like, well, you have the Big Ten, but they have 12 teams, and the Big 12 has 10 teams. Like, you know, it just, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. So let's just, uh, it, it shouldn't be that hard, right? If the if the CAA can change their name overnight when no one really was asking for it, then it's not that hard for the Big 12 to say, oh, we're the Big 13 now, or, or whatever. Or just pick a new name that doesn't have a number in it so that you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Like the ACC. That's right. I mean, you could the ACC tries to add teams that aren't on the Atlantic coast, but you know what? It, at least it doesn't have a number. It's okay. That's right. It, well, the, the real Atlantic coast is the friends we make along the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, the Pac-12 deal is interesting. They have been saying for more than a year or almost a year that they have a media rights deal that they're trying to organize, particularly with the... Like that their contract is up and they have UCLA and USC leaving. So they have to negotiate a new TV deal. They've been looking at things like the CW and online services. Like they haven't managed to find much of a market from the major players like ESPN. So they've kind of just been sitting on this for a long time. So you could totally understand why Colorado would want to get out. Funnily enough that the Big 12 seems like the secure conference after being like a also ran that looked like it could fall apart when Texas and Texas A&M left initially. But it's interesting that they have not found any traction. And it seems like their fault. Like they, you can't negotiate a 
deal and you keep telling your schools that you're going to have a media deal in place and nothing materializes after some point, you can understand why schools would want to leave. Having said that, Colorado is not the end all for the Pac-12. If they can find some ways to get some other schools in there, we already have talked about how San Diego State is fooling around with the idea of joining the Pac-12s, and that's a huge market in San Diego. So you know, maybe they grab some teams like that and are able to survive, but woof, stressful times yeah. for them. Wolf is right. I think ultimately in this realignment thing, and, and honestly, I think this is where the ACC probably will end up finding itself. I think for some conferences, like look, the SEC and the Big Ten, for whatever reason, whether it's because they had more merit or whatever, they jumped on it the early means stuff. means more. That's right. It does mean more. So they jumped on things early and have snagged sort of some of the prize possessions of, of realignment. So I think for the other conferences, like the Big 12, like the ACC, the answer is you got to be ready to start collecting some of the scraps, so to speak. And I think you have to be proactive in grabbing the programs that uh, are more attractive of those programs that aren't Texas and Oklahoma and USC and UCLA. So the Big 12 has decided that's Colorado. And, and there's no doubt there's a Deion Sanders effect here, like you said, but you know, also the history of having been in the conference before. So for the ACC, I think if you're Jim Phillips and you're not starting to think about, or well, starting, you should have already started. If you're not thinking about programs that are out there that you may be able to lure into your conference that can strengthen you and make sure that, that there's a place for the ACC in the future or the big 12 or whatever, the PAC 12 might have to start thinking. I mean, to me, they just don't have a ton of options but the ACC does, and I think you got to start thinking about. It. I know, like for example, Cincinnati just moved to the Big Twelve, so that's one that I think for years has been talked about as you know maybe a potential future member, and it's too late. So you know, I think you have to look around and start to think about who else is out there that could be ripe for the picking. Right? Is there if you're looking at programs that have no ACC history, like maybe a, a UConn? where you're really going to strengthen basketball, obviously not necessarily a plus as a football program, but it is what it is. Or do you look to strengthen like the academic profile of your conference with something like Vanderbilt? Does Maryland have interest in a return to the ACC? You know, things like that. I just think that you have to start thinking about your options. Yeah, Vanderbilt and Maryland aren't coming back. But I think this is a perfect opportunity to poach Washington State Oh yeah, is going to be left behind, and they're not being offered to the Big Ten. They're not going to the Big Twelve. Let's get some Tony Bennett. Have Tony Bennett in the room. Get that negotiated. Get him to bring the Cougs to the ACC. Well, and you got to think like I mean, schools do. I think care about their rivals in terms of what happens with realignment. They understand that like if like take the cynical view, if it's all about money, rivalry games are a big money maker. And so, you know, if Washington State, for example, is smart, they'll really latch on to Washington because Washington's definitely more appealing. And maybe there's a mutually beneficial thing. Maybe the ACC can snag them and we can just be the Coast Conference. Ooh. Yeah. The Coastal. Coastal chaos <laughs> from both coasts. I love it. Yeah. The bi-Coastal Conference. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would be down. Um, Want to move off Colorado, though talk about a couple other quick things Just it. jim harbaugh 
has been mm-hmm. working diligently with the NCAA to negotiate his own suspension. And he has been suspended. It seems has been reported that he will be suspended for the first four games of the coming season because mm-hmm. of violations. Those four games are against East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers, all home games. Mm-hmm. Somehow Michigan managed to play four home games to start the year. UVA gets one, but that's that's neither here nor there. What a good job by Jim Harbaugh to be suspended for the four easiest games of all time from a Michigan <laughs> perspective. They don't need him at all yeah. to be involved in those four games. I like to imagine this meeting where he's coming to the NCAA infractions committee and it's just like, look, I'll take the heat for this. You know, I think that we can agree on, on a punishment here where you can hold me accountable, some sort of suspension. And they're, they're starting to, you know, whoever's on the committee is like, okay, so yeah, that sounds good. We'll have to think about, you know, number of games. And Jim Harbaugh just interrupts. Four. It's four. It's four games. I think four <laughs> games is good. Uh, you know, I, you're, I'm going to miss the Big Ten season opener for us uh, in our conference schedule. So, you know, it's, it's not too lenient because I'm going to miss that. But um, I think four games is, is, you know, you're missing a third of the season. That's a, that's a, a nice suspension. And I'm sure the committee's just like, I, they probably didn't even look at the schedule. Or maybe they did and they don't care. But this is my first thing I do when I hear a coach gets suspended for a certain number of games. I pull up the schedule and see. And sure enough, there in that fifth game is a Nebraska team that, even though I disagree with this, people think is going to be tougher this year because – Matt Rule's process is in town in Lincoln. So, yeah, and like you said, they're on the road for the first time that week, and their fearless leader will be back from his suspension that he so graciously accepted. The funniest result of any of this would be for them to just win all four games he's gone by 50 points, which may happen anyway, but then lose to Nebraska. That would be amazing. Mm. I'm actively rooting for that to happen. I don't really care what happens to Nebraska the rest of the year. They can go one and eleven, but that would be just amazing. Does that put Jim Harbaugh on the hot seat? Jim Harbaugh is always on a hot seat of his own making. He's <laughs> like actively was trying to be the Minnesota Vikings head coach as recently as like a few months ago. There's no way anybody in Michigan is anticipating him being there for more than two more years this no matter how good they are like they he's could win a the michigan national man. championship this year he would be like i'm out he's a michigan man he still he wants he wants to get back to the nfl yeah and people apparently his personality is so abrasive that no school can kind of deal like he brought stanford to the highs that they hadn't experienced in forever and stanford people were still like thrilled to have him leave like oh my god thank god he's gone College football coaches are weird, and that is a kind of universal truth. But he's probably the biggest weirdo in the sport, and I, I don't dislike him. I have nothing against him. I don't really have any like strong feelings about him in terms of like positive or negative. But I can say that like just based off of how odd he is and his intensity and the kind of person he seems to be, like I could never voluntarily spend time around him Mm -hmm. i feel like he like wouldn't do cocaine because it would chill him out too much like he's he's too (laughs) wired that story that came out a year or two ago about how he'll like 
even wear khakis to like run on the treadmill i just can't i can't can't deal with him so four game suspension great could be more could be less i don't really care but i just i as long as i don't have to spend time around him agreed which so, I never would, but like, like there'd be no, <laughs> there'd be no scenario where well, you're lactose intolerant, so he mm-hmm. wouldn't want to spend time with you either. That's right. That's okay. right. Big milk drinker. He's a m- big milk guy. Michigan man, yeah. milk man, <laughs> suspended man. Yes, that's my that is my favorite uh, John Le Carre novel. <laughs> a couple other quick things to talk about, and then we can move on to ACC Media Days. Just a a brief recap of what's happened in northwestern this may just be an ongoing segment for us where we just say like what did northwestern mess up this week i'm so so ready to stop talking about this but yeah i mean this this just struck me as funny no we have to like they they keep giving us stuff so yeah the president sat down with the school newspaper to answer some tough questions about all the stuff that's happened in recent weeks and uh michael shill admitted or said that he did not read the full investigative report. He did not have access to the full investigative report when he made his decision to suspend head coach Pat Fitzgerald for two weeks. So he basically had a summary of what the investigation found, and he used that to make his suspension decision. And then later, upon reading the article and all the testimony from people, decided that that was a terrible decision and ended up firing Pat Fitzgerald. My man, <laughs> you cannot make a decision as the president of Northwestern with only reading the cliff notes. That's not an option. Like you can't, that's, that's literally what Barry Zuckercorn does on Arrested Development. When he's like, <laughs> your honor, it, it's a lot of pages. I just can't. You can't. What? What are you doing? Don't admit that. No. Come up with a better excuse. Even if this is like, yeah, even if that's what happened, right? Even if you didn't, sorry, it's just hilarious to me. Even if you didn't like do your due diligence and you didn't read the whole thing or or whatever, there's parts that you skimmed over or however, you know, he, he sees it. You don't admit that to the, to the school newspaper. That is the one that broke this whole story. It's fine. Like some of what he said in terms of, that he was, I think he, I think his wording was that he was like affected greatly by the student newspaper's article, you know, so seeing that that's fine to say, Hey, this really like made me think more about it or I don't know, but don't say, Hey man, I really had to go back and read this thing that came across my desk. I saw it and was just like, ah, you know, this seems bad, but like how bad could it be? It really comes across as like very much acting based on the outcry that people had versus information because he didn't really consult the information that well. Not a lot of due process here. And, you know, honestly, like, don't get me wrong. There's no, I'm not, this is in no way meant to be defending Pat Fitzgerald. But if I'm him, I'm also a little upset. I'm like, okay, so you're making all these decisions based on what? Like, you don't even know what's happening. I think firing him was the right move, but the way it has happened now, he has a gripe and you don't want to give him that. It feels honestly like this is like if Michael Scott were president of a university, it's, <laughs> or, you know, like the Barry Zuckercorn thing is perfect. Like it is just, it's comical if it weren't having 
a negative impact on real people's lives. A hundred percent. You just have to just come into that and just say, I made a mistake. I listened closely to the people who were involved. I got some new information, which I just made up, whatever. (laughs) And then that made me make that decision. Don't, don't try to be like, yeah, I didn't get the report fully. Like that's not, come on. Yeah. Come on. Can't make a decision. Also, what a quick shout out on the the new emerging scandal of Northwestern's AD, Derek Gregg. Did you see this? No, I don't think I have. He wrote a book in 2015 called 40 Days of Directions, Life Lessons from the Talented Ten. So he in his book, he has a chapter. It's entitled Women, Men, Man's Greatest Distraction. Mm. But not great. Not a great look. And... <laughs> Especially from somebody who oversees women's sports at a university. Yeah. I don't think he should be fired for having that. And it's not like he, like in the chapter of the book, it's not like he says like totally horrendous things about women, kind of some outdated ideas that are included in there. But I don't think having a chapter called Women Our Greatest Distraction is a good look for an AD of a school. No. I think that, um, well, my first thought is we are really really close to being able to put together a letterman top 10 list of like worst looks for northwestern like they just keep <laughs> they keep going and you know i mean this is the nature of things right like something comes out and then you start to see more and more and you know it's it's reminiscent of like some of the me too stuff or whatever where like someone comes forward and then people see that and are like, hold on, I had a similar experience or in digging about those things, you find some other th- questionable things. Yeah, I don't know. I think that AD should have to spend, I don't know, 72 hours watching the Barbie movie on repeat. <laughs> we consider that. I, I don't think that's really punishment, although I couldn't watch any movie on repeat for that long. But, you know, I think that it would... Uh, maybe change some of his perspective but that literally is what it feels like is like how do you i just what a dumb thought first of all just what a stupid stupid thing to think um and then to write it in a book and then people said yeah let's publish this just come on man. some editor had to have been like hey can we are you married to (laughs) women being the biggest distraction maybe we can frame it a different way about like empowering women or no you really want that okay that would be Uh, true if if there were women high up in that corporate structure but that's true (laughs) very true Uh, i'm gonna go ahead and say doubtful on that (laughs) (laughs) you you mentioned you know things kind of over turning a rock and then you know a bunch of things crawl out and i think you're right about northwestern's hazing scandal likely leading to some other things coming out in different programs and one of the first shoes to drop this week was actually at minnesota where there has now been allegations against pj fleck for uh, mistreatment of his players former players and I don't even, you know, it's kind of early on in the investigation of this and what possibly took place. But one thing jumped out at me in the report, former players allege that he had a system, a point system called the Fleck Bank, <laughs> which he used to accumulate, people could accumulate goodwill, which would then get them out of negative things like a positive drug test or violating team rules. 
So if you know you had racked up enough Fleck Bank points, then uh-huh. you no longer got in trouble. Well, while people who didn't have Fleck Bank points were then punished with running and other bad things like that. So look, that's a it's an interesting is, system. The, <laughs> this is like one of my favorite stories ever. Okay. The the whole thing is that it doesn't you know, this is not the same kind of deal at Northwestern, right? So Northwestern is like there's like nothing that you can really enjoy about this because it's awful things happening to people. The Minnesota stuff is all like it's it's just like hilarious in terms of this guy is such a nut job and we all should have known it. Anybody who uses that many acronyms and like he's the perfect boat. (laughs) He's a caricature of like coaching. He honestly feels like a Tim Robinson character or, or, you know, he, so he calls this whole thing a hit piece. He's like, these are baseless allegations but I don't care. I refuse to not believe some of these things. Some of my favorite details. So they call it, you know, they say that he runs a cult-like atmosphere. There's a player who says that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to laugh so much during this because it's just, I think this is gold. This is Players like, are being as, intimidated, shut, and you're <laughs> laughing sure. at their misery. Yeah, I totally am. As someone who lived through the Matt Rule Panthers years, this is like, I just now have to laugh at stuff like this because it's how he runs a program too. So one anonymous player claimed it was a requirement that every time PJ Fleck entered a room, the team has to clap. (laughs) Like, first of all, (laughs) I believe that a hundred percent. We don't, we don't need a jury. We don't need an investigative body. I just believe that to the core. No, that's true. Then he would give tests. He would give binders out that you had to memorize, and they'd test on it, and there'd be punishments for poor test scores. And I think when I first read that, I was thinking, okay, so he's testing them on, like, verbiage they use in their offense and defense or playbook or things like that. No. (laughs) Some of the tests requires them to memorize acronyms that he uses, including these are some ones highlighted by Sports Illustrated, but they were some of my favorites. H-Y-P-R-R which stands for how, yours, process, result, and response. Okay? Mm-hmm. Hyper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there's one that's just, it's think. Uh, truthful, helpful, inspirational, necessary, and kind. <laughs> <laughs> just why is this necessary? Oh, well, that's one of the part of the thing. Fist. Fist stands for family invested same time. This what, feels. Why, why does that have to be fist? <laughs> right. That doesn't align with anything. No, this this, family. Well, because because in quotes, the next to it, it says, "Keep it tight." Okay. Swear to God. Oh my God. <laughs> and then you've got S F A M F S, which is start fast, accelerate middle, finish strong. Other complaints include if he asks you, or if any coach asks, or if any person asks a Minnesota football player how they're doing. They have to answer. (laughs) They have to answer with punishment if they don't answer this way. They have to say, I'm elite. I mean, I say that anyway. (laughs) I'm not even involved in Minnesota. That's just my base answer. I'm elite. It's not good. And there probably is a a dark side to this that we're going to find out. And I'm going to feel bad for laughing at, at some of this stuff. But 
as of right now, I just look at this and I'm like, okay, so it almost makes the the response by PJ Fleck and by some of the players, like some of the players are definitely coming to his defense. It makes the response questionable, right? Because some of them are, are directly comparing it to the Northwestern thing. So there's a guy, Sam Renner, who used to play for him uh, from 2015 to 2019. He's the one who says, this is a hit piece. It's aimed upon preying on emotions caused from Northwestern's recent news. So you're comparing it to that. It doesn't really seem to be the same kind of thing. I don't know. I, I just like, to me, that almost creates more smoke where I'm like, oh, hold on. Because then he's like, well, there's only anecdotal commentary. So he's like, well, I want to see more evidence. And I feel like we're going to regret that when there's more evidence coming <laughs> a little bit later. But it might yeah, just be that he's just a nut. Yeah, it's it's not hazing from what we know right now. And and again, it's a developing story, so don't want to go too far down the well. But I'll just say generally, he strikes me as an insane person. Yeah. He acts in ways with acronyms and leaping into the locker room and all this other stuff. He's just like the ultimate try-hard coach, wears a tie, makes a lot of things about him and public speaking engagements and all other stuff, which is fine. But it's always ironic when, and I, I felt this way about Pat Fitzgerald too, with his culture stuff, when you have kind of an in-group, out-group that you create with culture, and the byproduct of that is there are some people that are made intentionally to feel like they are on the outside and not buying in or whatever. And that happens all the time in football, particularly. Like, if there are problems in the locker room. People didn't buy into what we were doing. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, you know sayings don't work for everybody some people have motivations that go beyond acronyms some people you know actively want a real relationship and not one that seems like it was on the back of a t-shirt like a nike t-shirt <laughs> slogan you know yeah this guy makes Dabo sweeney seem grounded and like down to earth it's just I think about this a lot like i i don't have neither of us i don't i don't have kids but if i did and they were going being recruited to play college football. And I talked to this guy. I, I'd like to think that I would let my kids make their own decisions and do what's right for them. But I feel like this is one scenario where I'd be like, no, you're not. We're not doing that. Because if nothing else, I'm just not as a parent. I'm not going to like have to hear this guy. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I just, it's just so absurd. And, and I mean, I hope that no, evidence comes out that he's doing things that are like actually harmful or anything like that. I genuinely like, I, I wouldn't wish that on, on anyone. Um, I hope he's just weird. And then Minnesota has to decide if they're cool with that. And I just like, I guess it's fine if, if that's all it is. And they had a, a, another player who I think is a current, yeah, it's, it's their expected starting quarterback who said like, it's a hard program to play for, not a toxic one which is important, right? So yeah, I, I imagine it is hard to hear all that and not like laugh in his face. That's that's how I interpret that. But it depends, right? What kind of accountability or, or you know, quote unquote accountability is there? If you're not following his ways, are you being punished in some like actually potentially harmful ways? If so, then we have a, a bigger problem than just, oh, this guy's a goofball. I don't know. It's unbelievable to me that somebody like this is who he is and has been successful and nobody has ever just been like, Hey man, 
like an AD hasn't just been like, cool, love your enthusiasm, but also could you dial it back like 79%? He's not for me, but uh, some people love that stuff. They love acronyms and little catchphrases and I, like what's his record at Minnesota? <laughs> 44 and 27 is his record at Minnesota, okay. which actually makes him one of the best, if not the best coaches in Minnesota history, maybe. Like it's not crazy to even have that conversation with only six years behind yeah. him. So cool. Like that let's focus on that. Like let's work on that would be if I'm the AD here. I'm like, hey PJ, like you're doing great. And let's do that. Maybe a little bit less. Maybe we just start with don't have the team clap every time you enter a room. That feels like an easy place to start. Keep your acronyms, lose the like hero worship. I want to make sure that we carve out a little bit of time here to talk about ACC Media Days, which are still ongoing today, finishing up today. But we've had some few really exciting days of coaches and players coming out and saying things like, we're going to prove people wrong this year. And we've got a different culture. We still got a lot of work to do. Have I forgotten any of the isms that show up at this no, but I will say just real quick before we like get too far into ACC specific stuff, but related to what you just said, did you see from the American Conference Media Days the press conference for the coach Charlotte. Of, the, of Charlotte, Biff Poggy? Yes, so I certainly did. I think those, it's Poggy though. Oh, okay, Biff Poggy. <laughs> so great, the, uh, great football name. Oh yeah, way. just Biff. I'm so focused on the Biff part. You know, first of all, Charlotte football, relatively new program still. They do play in a stadium named for Jerry Richardson, the former Panthers owner who, you know, left in scandal. But he's still got a stadium name for him at Charlotte. And and this guy has been a – he's actually kind of a big-time coach. Like, he was associate head coach under Harbaugh at Michigan and, and has been really successful. But what I love is at this press conference, he gets three questions asked of him. And then they're like, all right, more questions, and nobody has anything. And he's he kind of, you know, I, I think he actually kept his cool for what it could have been. But he's like, really? Three questions. That's all. You picked us last in this conference and just, like, hits the podium. And he's like, message received and walks off, which I think is actually kind of badass. He could have gone into this whole thing about, you're underestimating us. We're going to, like, the stuff you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. He could have, like... Mm-hmm done all the coach speak stuff and he was just like nope we got it and just walked off i hope they have a surprisingly good season and he can come back and just be at the next one and just be like all right now 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 you probably got questions for me now you care i think that would be so cool it's the equivalent of the i don't know if it's a common gift now on social media but a few years back in the super bowl season for the panthers in this game against the giants they had scored late to go up setting up a last minute drive and just the uh, cam newton on the sideline sees them score and he just kind of gives that nod and is like all right i know what i got to do and it's like one of the coolest things and i felt like that's what biff that's the energy biff was bringing the other day i love that i love his reaction i will say i don't think it is the best bulletin board material for players to be mm. like Come on, man. We got this big game coming up, and I was only asked three questions. You know, it's kind of <laughs> confusing for them, you know. Nobody, nobody wanted to ask me anything, so no one believes in you. But you know, I'm sure, like 
that's so much of what coaching is now is just like grievance oriented stuff to try to motivate players on your team, which I'm totally for. And I think that use whatever tools you have. But I also my my secondary thought after laughing at the video was to say so many of these coaches come into these media days and, you know, they have their where are they expected to be picked. And so many of them will just be like, oh, we don't pay any attention to that. We have no Mm. interest in following where that is. This guy knew. I feel like all coaches know. They just want to pretend like they don't because they don't want their players to looking at it. But like this guy was like, 100%, y'all said we were last. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, sorry. We can go to ACC stuff. That just popped in my head as we were thinking about. You're right. All these things that coaches tend to say at these. I mean, honestly, that... I'm glad that we have like the NIL stuff for coaches to to go off on because it gives us something that's actually, you know, there's substance there rather than just the usual, you know, we're going to catch some folks off guard and all that stuff. And like, it at least gives us something where they're, they're actually saying words that mean something. Yeah. Going into that, I think probably one of the most interesting or important things to come out of media day was Pat Narduzzi, head coach of Pitt, mm-hmm. talking about NIL, where he suggested the idea of having a lid as almost like a salary cap for schools to use for transfer portal kind of stuff. He he kind of also you know melded in the idea of transfer portal and NIL kind of in the same boat. So yeah. not super clear what his idea is, but basically su- suggesting that there should be some kind of salary cap so that bigger schools like Texas and Clemson and Florida State aren't just able to spend recklessly while poor and battled schools like Pitt <laughs> can't get any good players. I don't know if you have any initial thoughts on Pat Narduzzi's lid suggestion. Yeah, I mean it's no secret where he stands on things, right? Like he was he's been very vocal about this talking about in the past about schools that have bought teams and stuff like that. I think that he raises a fair point in that not all schools are on equal footing when it comes to their ability to raise NIL money. And some of that has to do with size. That was his thing was has to do with size of the school that Pitt is not as big a school as some others. Then there's other schools that, you know, think about like a Wake Forest or, you know, something like that. Like you have some schools that are a little bit more limited and so how do you level that playing field? Does a salary cap make it work? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, no, none of us know for sure. It's interesting because I think that suggests a another level of regulation that we're nowhere near right now. I think it would be really, really difficult. And I think all you do, if you're going to put a lid, if you're going to put like a ceiling on NIL money at certain programs what you're doing is you're opening up a door just to kind of go back to the way it was where now you have like illicit money being spent and they're just going to do things under the table. So they don't have to count for that. Like we know that because that's what happened before this was even allowed. So like, I don't know how it fully solves the problem unless you start to like put together, you know, some really serious punishments for accountability for programs for violating things like that. I just, I I don't know. It feels like there's a step there's a there's an intermediate step before this of kind of getting to a place where we have a little bit more transparency at least before we start setting limits let's just make sure that we maybe there's requirements about reporting just so we know what's being spent and I, that was a big focus of the the congressional bill that came from um Joe Manchin and Tommy Tuberville 
I think they they had a lot of stuff in there about transparency as well as a transfer thing that I think is just horrifically stupid, but that may be a different topic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just this feels a little it feels like a pretty big leap. Yeah, and I think I am not a fan of things that frame it this way. I think so many of the quote unquote solutions to NIL problems are to find ways of capping what players are worth. And there are very few that seem to help players out. Sure, let's create fairness, but you know, college football has always been inherently an unfair system. Big schools, the same schools that were recruiting really well before NIL was allowed are still recruiting really well. And they're just also getting transfers as well. So it maybe it does suck if you're a Pitt grad and you have somebody cool like Jordan Addison who plays for your program and then he wants to go to USC where he can get more exposure, make more money. But that was true anyway. It was mm-hmm. true that they were USC is going to get more exposure even before NIL. So setting a salary cap on what players can get just strikes me as like the wrong problem. I mean, I think you're right about having some more transparency on where money is, where it's coming from is a good thing. Interestingly, now, not just the mansion Tuberville bill, but there have been three bills that have come out in the last week from people in Congress. Everybody in Congress is now showing their bipartisan support, trying to make us look stupid for saying Congress is incapable of passing anything. Having said that, none of those bills have gone into committee or out of committee or anything like that. It's a lot of posturing saying, here's what we could do. But putting putting that aside, college football is an unfair game. And while it would be great to have a, a more more teams that are available to compete, it's, it's just never been that way. And I think people blame NIL incorrectly at this point for a lot of the ills that go on in college football. Yeah. I always have sort of a problem when the response is so focused on how do we control players more, you know, and, and just exercising more and more power over these student athletes. That doesn't feel like the correct response. I think the correct response is, is something that holds again, like the transparency stuff holds programs accountable and it makes things clear in terms of, you know, what are we looking at? And I think, look, the, the, the difficult part about this that I think people have to come to terms with is if there's a problem that needs solving realistically, I think we're going to need at least five years to really understand it. You know, you need a period of time with transparent information out there for you to be able to really fully see and understand what the landscape really is. So right now we're trying to solve a problem that we have identified or decided is there without having full information. Like that's what these bills are focused on transparency because we don't have that, that information. Pat Narduzzi doesn't know what different programs are pulling in in terms of nil or like where that money's going like programs do publicize pretty well like the money they've raised for nil because it's their attempt to try to get people fired up and you know state just had a big nil fundraiser and um made a big deal out of it right to try to get more people to donate probably but we don't know where that money is going we don't know what that looks like and and i don't i don't have a major issue with that i don't feel like i need to know i just kind of want to watch football right like But I I get it. I understand that there are some complex issues here and it's going to take time for us to to see. I I think especially with anything economic, and this obviously involves money in some pretty big quantities, 
anything like that takes time to start to see patterns emerge. And yeah, we're just not there yet. And, and I feel like if you try to regulate something without fully understanding it, you're setting yourself up for even greater failure. The only other thing I'll say about Pat Narduzzi is that he is not the most reliable narrator for me. No. He likes to mouth off yeah. in general, but also about NIL stuff. I mean, this is the same guy who made a completely baseless accusation that Drake May was being offered $5 million to mm -hmm. transfer from UNC. So, I, you know, he likes to stir the pot on these kind of things, and it's totally fine for him to make his opinion well-known and say, hey, I'm going to fight for Pitt. But also, you know, how helpful is this really? Like, what movement is this really going to create? Like, I, I feel like it would be more useful and successful for Pitt if he were to work with his boosters to figure out a better plan for getting Pitt players more money and figure out how to get a more marketable situation in Pittsburgh rather than trying to just like shoot everybody else down and say it's unequal. Like, yeah, of course it's unequal. It's always been unequal. It's always been unequal for Pitt. And you, he still managed to have some pretty good teams during his time there. So yeah, He's in a much better situation than the Wake Forests and, you know, Duke football and all these other places. Like, you can, like, come on, man, just give it up. Well, I think, again, like, and, and I, I did this with the Minnesota thing, but I'll do it here, too, if I'm the AD, right? If I put myself in those shoes, I think at some point I'm calling Pat Narduzzi into my office and I'm saying, like, hey, man, I get it. You're frustrated. I understand. We might all be frustrated. But like you're saying, instead of just complaining at media days you know why don't we work on doing better if this is the landscape now if this is the climate how do we compete in that you know not not just let's sit here and feel bad for ourselves but let's step up let's look and see like establish i don't even know if Pitt has like an nil collective but like establish something and get something going and let's let's work on this like if this is what it is then it is then then we have to succeed in this in this climate and I just don't think that he wants to do that, I, you know, and, and that's fine. There are going to be coaches over the course of these things. We've seen in basketball some high-profile retirements from coaches that have at least alluded to the idea that, like, I'm not super into the way things are going right now, and so it's not for me, so I'm getting out. And that's fine, too, like, either way. But I think you either have to kind of put up or shut up, like, figure out how to compete in this world or don't and, and just – stop complaining about it i, I think yeah it, it would be hilarious to find out that like pit in the background has been compiling all this money and is about to put together like a super team based off nil funds <laughs> i think that would be that'd be quite a narduzzi okay get it like a doozy mm -hmm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, no good way to segue off that but i also <laughs> wanted to talk about jim phillips acc yeah. commissioner who kind of opened media day with some comments would not address really the information about his time at Northwestern as the athletic director. So Smart. I guess we can just all close the book on that and move on, but also made some comments hinting at a positive outlook for the ACC hinting at possible negotiations that are kind of going on behind the scenes with ESPN, maybe f trying to find some money under the couch cushions, I guess, for schools that have been complaining that the ACC is not paying its members schools as much as members of the Big Ten or the SEC. And also just bluntly address the fact that they've had some pretty 
tense conversations behind the scenes uh, among member schools with presidents. You know, we've, we've seen that reported that schools like Florida State and Clemson have been hinting and suggesting that, you know, they don't see themselves as being able to be as financially competitive in the ACC long term. I don't know if there's anything in there that struck you as interesting or surprising. Seems like Jim Phillips trying to calm some questions that are bubbling up around the conference. Yeah, I mean, this definitely felt very much like a like a president's state of the union address when things aren't great, like trying to make people feel better about things that are going on. And, you know, talked about he felt that uh, some of those blunt conversations and some of those difficult topics that have been up in terms of uh, realignment and, and finances and media deals and, and you know, things like that, he, he tried to spin it as, you know, this has really benefited our, our conference. And there's, you know, his his wording, he said there's increased trust because we've had to have those difficult, honest conversations. And maybe that's true, right? I mean, I think this can be true, certainly, you know, in a lot of interpersonal interactions when you have to have hard conversations. Sometimes it, it definitely builds trust between people. You know, I think that he probably does feel as though addressing some of that stuff head on has allowed him to have a better understanding of where schools stand and maybe lessens the probability that schools are going to sort of go behind his back to make moves. But there's no doubt like his most difficult job in front of him is keeping this thing together, holding the conference as it is. And I think ideally, probably adding uh, some people, some teams, like I said before, some some programs. But um, yeah, I mean, that that definitely stuck out to me. It stuck out to me. He talked again about the question that everybody asks every year, multiple times a year about the ACC, which is the Notre Dame question. Are we ever going to be able to lure them fully into the ACC? And he basically just said, no, probably not. So they've talked about it some more and that they really value their independence, which cool, <laughs> I guess. You know, it's just, it feels, I get some of the frustrations of some of your larger programs when you're looking at like part of the reason they don't get as much money is because the ACC pays out a partial share of money to Notre Dame who refuses to fully join the conference. And I think it's a great deal for, for the Irish, right? They get those games on their schedule. They get a share of the money, but they don't have to tie themselves down to conference membership. But yeah, those are kind of things that stuck out to me. I, I think that. I'm glad that they're having honest conversations and he's not just putting his head in the sand about some of this realignment stuff, but it does kind of feel a little bit to me like he's trying to work pretty hard to spend things positively when they may not be. Yeah, I totally agree. The It seems like a lot of these commissioners are caught completely blind when a school leaves. Like, I really don't think that the Pac-12 was anticipating Colorado moving so aggressively to get out when they did. And right. I think there were the, the reports that came out and even Jim Phillips alluded to this in his statements that he would have thought that the these conversations weren't necessarily required a few months ago. But, you know, once some of the schools started expressing their displeasure at making 10 to 15 million dollars less than the Vanderbilts of the world and the Rutgerses of the world who are just in a better conference financially. And, you know, it, it seems like that maybe took him a little bit by surprise. So I guess it's good that he's trying to course correct. The problem is, what can you actually do about it as a conference? You mentioned adding teams. Maybe that's a good thing. But the the risk of that is that adding teams would break the grant of rights deal. 
mm-hmm. which would then immediately allow Clemson or Florida State to leave or UNC or Virginia or whatever school you want to pick. It would immediately allow them to leave without a severe penalty taking place of like having to get out of the grant of rights deal. So there's a huge risk for that. In the same time that they're trying to get ESPN to kind of find alternate financial streams, this is a network that just laid off a ton of its own employees yeah. and is under no incentive to renegotiate a contract that is like rock solid until 2036. So I don't really know what that looks like. I'm interested to see in the coming months what actually becomes of that. Is there an actual way that ESPN can find a way to get more money to ACC programs? Because it seems like kind of an unchangeable situation unless you know something drastic happens like you know florida state's lawyers find a loophole hmm. of the grant of rights deal and then they can just go to the sec like they want to but otherwise seems like just kind of an immovable situation that um I, I i don't really know what can be done about it other than to just kind of run as the third place conference for now you know big 12 might be coming right up behind you now that they're trying to add and they have the ability to do so we're kind of we being the ACC here, the kind of stuck in a situation where, I, like I said earlier, I think you missed the boat by not being proactive on some of this stuff. And, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten did a good job of looking ahead and, and putting themselves in a good position. And, and now, again, you're, you're sitting here having to react. And best case scenario, I think, is you have this, this grant of rights deal. You have this long-term deal with, with ESPN and, that kind of holds things together for you for a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a, probably a scary, tense situation for him, like not knowing what he can do. But but you've put yourself in this, and you may have to take some risks just to try to like, it, you know, I don't know if standing pat is really enough. But we'll see. You know, I, I think it's, like you said, it's tough for, it's tough to expect ESPN to give you more or anything like that because this is a pretty sweet deal for them. Right, you made a decision to sign a really long-term deal that at this point looks way more beneficial for them than it does for the conference, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't know. Feels, they they feel a little a little stuck right now in terms of kind of the the future of the conference. That's why you got to add Washington State. Bring them in. Yeah, by bring Coastal. in the Cougs. Let's go. Uh, anything else you want to talk about from the ACC media days? Anything else jump out at you? I don't think so. You know, I think we'll we'll start to see. Um, some stuff in the coming days uh, you know we'll see the the preseason picks and awards and things like that and we can talk about that in weeks to come i think that's that's a later thing you know i know that for a lot of our listeners the thing of most interest is virginia football and the big story there is definitely jay wolfolk we haven't really talked much about this and i know you maybe didn't really want to but (laughs) no it's um definitely a big story for virginia football uh somebody who is expected to compete for the starting quarterback job with uh, Tony Musket now fully out of the program. So it's definitely an interesting storyline. I think one that most Virginia fans probably see as the biggest uh, program-specific story. Yeah, and Tony Elliott, head coach of Virginia, made a point of addressing that during the, his media time and said that it caught him by surprise. It's It's not ultimately surprising that a player who has a clear future in baseball and you know a much more muddled one in football who might have you know already been the backup quarterback behind Tony Musket would decide to focus on one sport instead of the other I mean football 
is something, you know, a severe injury in football could completely ruin his career that he has developing in baseball. So totally makes sense from his perspective. But Tony Elliott did seem to suggest that he was caught off guard by the timing of it, particularly, which means that UVA's quarterback room is pretty light and pretty inexperienced. Uh, Tony Musket has a lot of experience coming from Monmouth uh, as being a quarterback, but not at the FBS level. And pretty much everybody else in that room really doesn't have any experience at all. Very young room. And so that will be interesting to see. Hopefully, Tony Musket is not injured because then we start getting into some really dicey situations with people who have never played before. But we'll see. Do you think as a fan, if they don't bring in a transfer, if they don't bring in Tony Musket and just kind of had expressed now, whether I'm not even sure if I think this would have been warranted, but if they had just expressed confidence and said, Hey, Jay Wolfolk, you're our guy going into next year. Does this happen this way? Or does he Um, feel like he's got to get out because he could get hurt? you know, in practice or something, and he's not even getting to start. Like, does, do you think that plays a role at all? I don't. You, you know, I, this is tea leaves reading in my own opinion, but I don't sure, think it yeah, would have made that much of a difference. He really does. If he is going to be successful, he does not project as an NFL quarterback. So, mm-hmm. he, but he is in a very good position to be drafted into Major League Baseball. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's like dollars and cents. I mean, it's probably one of those things where he wanted to do both and just the full time element of being an athlete and then having to do that for two separate sports, missing the spring game for yeah. football. Like, it's just really, really hard. It's why you don't see that many athletes at the D1 level do this. So, yeah, I'm, I don't think it would have made a difference, but definitely disappointing you know, I I don't think that he would have been the starter anyway, or if he had kind of been the starter, he would have been one of the more tenuous starter situations in the ACC. So mm-hmm. it's not the biggest loss in terms of like what UVA football will look like in their first game against Tennessee. But as soon as uh, Muskie gets an injury, it might look very, very different on the field. Look, man, I, I don't mean to be mean. But I don't know that it was, it's going to matter who's at quarterback for that Tennessee game. Um, but yeah, probably uh, not. Yeah, it does. It just kind of reminds me a little bit of it's obviously not fully the same, but there are some echoes of the Russell Wilson situation at NC State. And I felt at the time and even looking back at it now that like obviously the way that shook out is Russell Wilson didn't go to baseball. He decided he wanted to play full time football at another school, which is always an interesting outcome of that, but you know, he expressed kind of wanting to play both Tom O'Brien put some pressure on him, but some of that was because Mike Glennon was coming in as a highly touted recruit. And, you know, there's a lot of fans who feel like if he hadn't been there, then Tom O'Brien would have been more, whether this is fair or not. I mean, I think almost certainly it's not, but he would have been more amenable to Russell Wilson splitting time between the sports and, and he never would have left. So I always just kind of wonder if like the presence of another quarterback makes the decision easier. Not that it's a negative, not that I don't think like Tony Elliott wronged Jay Wolfolk by bringing in a transfer, but I just wonder if in his mind he looks at it and he's like, well, there's somebody there to play. So it's not a huge deal if I don't, you know, something along those lines. It, it is, it's all interesting. And um, who knows, right? We will never be able to answer what could have been. Hopefully Tony Musket stays healthy and is everything that this coaching staff thinks he can be you would hope so 
As, yeah. a, as me a UVA fan, positive. I certainly do. See me wishing hope yeah. towards your quarterback. Sure. But whenever we that. talk about my team, you're like, I hope Brennan Armstrong dies on the field or whatever no, you say. My, no, my take is that <laughs> Brennan Armstrong is going to start all 12 games. That's yeah. And you take that as a negative because you like MJ Morris. That's I that's do. a you problem, not a me problem. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, look, if you just, again, I said this to you the other day, if he starts all 12 games, that means he's playing pretty well. So I'll take it. I'm excited to actually look at some X's and O's and real football as opposed to media days. As much fun as it is to think about schools, like the media days are kind of a tease of like what's to come for me. But it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's like this whole back and forth now about which school is the flagship program because Brent Pry said that head coach of West or head coach of Virginia Tech said that about them being the flagship and now fans are all yelling at each other on twitter about the word flagship and what it means and it's like come on who cares let's just wait let's let's see some football that's what we care about Yep, i saw that and and i mean good way to get fans fired up which for him and for that tech program i think getting fans excited is important um and similarly for virginia i think there's actually some mutual benefit here um just in terms of like having some buzz but I hate this. This happens in North Carolina all the time. The what's the flagship program and all this stuff. And in my mind, uh, flagship is a pretty good Jason Isbell song. Other than that, that term <laughs> means nothing to me. Well, that is our wrap on ACC Media Days. If you would like to uh, write into the show to talk about ACC Media Days, I mean, I honestly don't write in about that. If you'd like to write into the show <laughs> to talk about which coaches or acc players are most like gossip girl or supernatural or characters on riverdale you can do that by writing into preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com you can also find us on twitter or should i say x mm, at pod or on instagram with the same handle yeah you know thinking about it now john shire kind of feels like a one tree hill character appropriately enough 